A 767-300 must make a belly landing when the landing gear will not extend. But why must this lot Polish Airlines flight have to make this emergency landing maneuver? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, Episode 2. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. This one's going to be interesting, because Miranda has no idea what we're talking about today. Nope. They've been talking about it for like a week, and I have no idea what they're saying, so. We are covering Lot Flight 16. Let's get right into this. So this happened on November 1st, 2011, as Flight LO16 from Newark to Warsaw on a Boeing 767-300ER. Registration SP-LPC. That's a very Polish registration number. It was built in 1997 for a lot. The the engines were manufactured in 1995, two years before the airplane was actually built. That was kind of cool. There were 221 passengers on board and 10 crew members. The captain, I'm going to butcher this so bad, and I am so sorry to them. Uh, The captain was Tadeusz Rona. He was 57 years old. He's type rated on the 757 and 767 because they're uh, the same rating. It's the only two airplane types in the world that hold the same rating. He had 15,980 flight hours and 36 minutes at the time of the incident, of which 13,307, that's a lot out of all that, and eight minutes were on the 767. And he had 12,432 hours and 51 minutes as the pilot in command. So... He was actually captain for 12,400 of his 5,900 hours. That's insane. That's a lot of minutes. That is a lot. Uh, The first officer was Jersey Swark. Yeah. 51-year-old, also type rated in 757-767. He had 9,431 hours and 16 minutes of flight time at the time of the incident. Uh, of which only 1,981 hours and 9 minutes were on the 767 and no PIC time. Pilot in command. Both were rated for communications in both Polish and English. That's good. Yep. You have to be. I mean, especially if you fly international, like, to the U.S. Or yeah, speak the English. It's, it's yep. Which we don't speak great to begin with. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So then, and Polish is not a uh, Latin-based language. It's a lot more difficult than to learn English from Polish, so good for them, because <laughs> it's not any kind of way similar whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought it was actually interesting listening to the, the ATC recordings from this incident that... Uh, it's all in Polish. It's all in Polish, yeah. Normally, even at uh, international airports, even if it's your local language, you usually still speak English for recording purposes, but they were totally in Polish. Uh, pre-departure and the ETOPS check on the aircraft were completed by a ground engineer. Uh, this is interesting because basically this means that the flight crew didn't have to do the check on the airplane prior to its departure. They actually had somebody else do that, and that allowed the captain to just do a brief walk around, check lights, and visually inspect the airplane. But the ground engineer uh, that was contracted by LOT in New York, did basically the actual full walk around on the airplane and check everything off the checklist for them before they departed, and actually before they even showed up for the flight. That 
ground engineer didn't notice any failures or irregularities to the airplane, but he wasn't present by the time the flight crew got there, so he wasn't there to have any sort of discussion with them. Not that this mattered anyways. Crew was in good condition, rested, and good mental state for the flight when they left. It was determined by the Polish report. Captain completed a walk around while first officer completed a cockpit check. Crew deemed aircraft ready for flight. Ground engineer not present in the cockpit while crew was preparing, but he had also done. But the captain had also done a pre-flight walk around. During the flight, captain was pilot flying. First officer was just pilot monitoring. So that means captain actually did all of the physical movement of the airplane, and the first officer just watched, monitored all the. Did the checklists and stuff. Yeah, did the checklists, monitored engines, all that stuff. He played flight engineer. They departed Newark at 12.19 a.m. local time. Following normal takeoff, during the retraction of the landing gear and flaps, a notable pressure drop in the center hydraulic system was signaled by the hydraulic panel, displayed as SISPRESH on the uh, EICAS, which is the Engine Indicating and Crew Alerting System. It's basically an electronic screen in the middle of the cockpit that plays flight engineer for them. It replaced the flight engineers that they had during the 60s, 70s, 80s, most common in, in jets nowadays. It's all played by by computers that monitor everything for them, and it uh, alerts them and with nice loud alarms and bright lights and stuff. So they they had a call out that there was a drop in hydraulic pressure, very noticeable. Flight crew checked their quick reference handbook and operators maintenance coordination center, which is like you call in to literally your operator's coordination center where they, they, they tell you how, you know, what you can do in a situation like this, or they have maintenance personnel on hand, they create the flight plan for them, all these things. So they're in constant communication, even in the air. And uh, they tried to check with those people if there was anything they could do about this situation. And uh, ultimately they determined to continue the flight because if they didn't, then they would have to burn off a bunch of fuel to try to land in New York. And so instead of spending three hours circling around out over the water and just to return to New York, they decided to continue to Poland to burn off the fuel. And there was no known issue yet with the airplane except for the indication. So, um, question real quick. Sure. Was there, and I'm assuming... This is why you guys were saying hose earlier. I'm assuming something <laughs> went wrong with the hydraulic system to make them lose fluid. Is that what happened? Yes. Yes. And so far, all they have is only an indication in the cockpit that the hydraulic pressure was low in the center hydraulic system. So, And as we went over in the last episode, there's more than one hydraulic system, so they could still... Yeah, they were fine. The aircraft. So yes, the rest of the aircraft actually worked on like UA-232, all of the ailerons, flaps, everything was still functioning. The central hydraulic system, turns out, only functions the landing gear. Uh, okay. Alright, thanks. Go on. So, once they, so they carried on very normal flight all the way to Warsaw, and during their landing, they tested it out, sure enough, hydraulic system didn't let them drop the landing gear, but during their flight, they also, because they had so much time, they had planned for an, using the alternate system anyways. There's an alternate system in the 767 allowing them to drop it using an electric motor. 
So they plan for it. They plan for the time it would take. They plan for the eventualities. And so they were pretty well prepared in that regard. So what went wrong? Right. Now we decide to get into that part is going to be interesting. So they go ahead with the alternate landing gear extension system procedure using the checklists and the quick reference handbook, as well as the manuals. They had checked everything and they began the procedure. And the, after the amount of time that they, they were expecting the landing gear to go down, it did not. So they ran through the whole thing again, still on the same approach. And once again, after the amount of time that was expected, the landing gear still did not drop. Big problem. Yeah. <laughs> Look on Miranda's <laughs> face right now. She's well, like, uh-oh. It's like they're using an electronic motor. Yes. And unless something was wrong with that, why didn't the landing gear go down? Right. So about that. <laughs> right. So at 12.17 p.m. local time in, Port- in, in Warsaw, in Poland now, uh, the flight crew decided to do a go-around. They scrubbed the approach that they were on because they couldn't get the alternate system to work. And at that point, I, I, found, it was, I found it interesting, the report says the ATC declared them uncertain. They declared the flight uncertain. They didn't declare an emergency, they declared them uncertain. What does that mean? What does that even mean? I don't know. That's what the report calls out, is uncertain. Uncertain. So, yeah, they, they declared them uncertain. While the uh, flight crew decided to check the quick reference handbook and see what they could do about the the system. At 12.25 local time, so not a whole lot longer, the flight crew declared an emergency and ATC directed them to a holding zone. They did some, some pretty crazy back and forth, not too far away from the airport. They contacted the operations center again. Uh, and they had a maintenance expert on, basically on the line with them to discuss what could be done. The first officer checked the alternate landing gear extension switch and the circuit breakers in, on P11, which was uh, a panel not beside him but somewhere else. And he also checked P6-1 panel, which was beside him. Like right next to him. So in that there are five panels on the right side of the cockpit. Of those five panels, P6-1 is to the immediate right of the first officer, and it reads P6-1 through P6-5 from left to right. So it's the furthest one to the left, closest to the the co-pilot beside his right leg. Maintenance told him to check several of the breakers related to the alternate landing gear system directly. And he checked them. They were all in the on position or popped in. He reported to the captain, the operations center, that the breakers were checked. First officer also pulled and reset or cycled the alternate extension motor breaker per the expert's instructions. And the landing gear still did not extend. While all this was happening, two F-16s from the Polish Air Force intercepted the airplane and inspected the aircraft from the outside and confirmed that... The landing gear was not down. So do they just have fighter jets laying around waiting for stuff like this to happen? A lot of places do. I mean, like it's honestly here it would probably be the Air National Guard would be the one that would be most often scrambled for that, although the Air Force does do it occasionally. But 
it's yeah it's a lot of countries do because it's the easiest it's the safest way to have an air intercept yeah Yeah. you're not going to ask another airliner to go fly super close to an airline that's too dangerous so it's easier to have an f-16 that has a really high rate of speed and is very maneuverable to intercept an airplane like that and inspect it from the outside at, at a close but safe distance I'm sorry. I'm making this face because I still don't understand why the landing gear isn't down yet. Right. If there's nothing wrong with the electronic systems, that you why, know of. then why is it not? I'll get into it. Okay. Yep. I'm, still, I'm still like, how is this not, how is the landing gear, can't you do what they did with? UA-232 and have gravity do it? Or is That's that not available? literally the next point on my list. Oh. <laughs> it says, after this, the flight crew attempted to extend the gear using gravitational method, but failed. And literally, that's all their report says. It doesn't even actually say anything about why that How does gravity failed. fail? So, so my understanding of this on the 767 is that uh, it's tied to the doors. Oh. Um, and the doors are hydraulic driven. Oh. So the drawers did not open. Oh, the doors were stuck in a, in a closed position, so gravity couldn't drop the landing gear. That's kind of dumb. Yep. Okay. At that point, the aircraft was running really low on fuel, and all the unexce- unsuccessful attempts to extend the landing gear pretty much forced the crew to begin a gear-up or belly landing procedure on the airplane. The lead flight attendant was instructed by the captain to prepare the cabin and the passengers for an emergency landing. Passengers remained calm which was great you know in a lot of circumstances like this a lot of passengers start panicking especially when you have that many people on board that they would normally start panicking but apparently it was pretty calm in the the cabin everybody just followed along the brace procedures and and did as they were instructed the cabin was prepared and nobody died yeah no everyone survived so in this incidence the plane did do a belly landing while the plane was preparing for its approach, the firefighters coded runway 33 in a foam for 3,000 meters of the runway. That's about 9,000 feet of the runway. It's a pretty good distance. Uh, all the emergency services also arrived and waited. There was, what would we say, like 400? 420. Yeah, 420 people waiting for this airplane in case catastrophe struck, just like UA-232. But because this airplane was still in functional condition and everything but the landing gear, they were able to put it in a flaps-down configuration, and they were able to bring the airplane to a very controlled descent and approach, and they managed to actually very smoothly set the airplane down on runway 33 at 1.39 p.m. local time. And we will have a video of the landing posted on our blog. Um, Actually, there's a lot of them on YouTube that you can search up yourself, and we're going to show... Miranda, one of them now, so please wait during the elevator music. And that was the real landing. That wasn't a recreation. No, that was the real thing. That was the real footage from several different angles. And uh, there's even an angle actually from inside that's not shown there that's interesting. But yeah, everybody, I mean, everybody survived. Everybody managed to evacuate the airplane. Uh, it didn't burst into flames. Well, so, that said... Okay, well, pause. <laughs> Maybe it did burst into flames. <laughs> that said, there were 1,600 kilograms of fuel still on board, which is a lot for people not on I think kilograms. that's like 3,500 pounds. Yeah, it's still like 3,500 pounds of fuel on board. And the engines were running at the time of touchdown, although they, they actively shut them down while they were touching down. 
The aircraft had a pretty smooth and controlled slide down the center line. It managed to stay on center line, and it came to rest 42 meters past the intersection of runway 29. So the two runways at Warsaw intersect, and it managed to stop just past the intersection, and we're actually staring at a photo right now of where it came to rest that came from the report. We'll post that on our page as well. Along with all the other photos we reference and our sources at hardlandingspodcast.com. And in the videos, you can see the sparks flying from the right engine while they're sliding down the runway. And sure enough, it did catch on fire as soon as they came to rest. Firefighters were all over that right away. But uh, the crew was still able to successfully evacuate everybody in 90 seconds out of the forward two doors and the rear two doors. They opted not to open the right side overwing exits at all due to the flames. And the left side was opened, but nobody used it. They were too concerned about people falling off the wing. So they they chose not to use the left side because of the condition of the airplane. And the only people that actually used it were two of the flight crew later on. And they're trained to go down slides, so... Yeah. That makes sense. Nobody was injured in this incident. I mean, that's just pretty crazy. Nobody hit their head. Nobody fell. Most of the time, a lot of the injuries, even when the airplane lands safely, most of the injuries come from people falling out of the slides, falling out of the airplane getting injured in some way or another, but there was no panic. Everybody just got off the airplane, and as they were told, the one thing that the report did call out is that there was no clear congregating area once you're out of the airplane, so people were dispersed everywhere, and that actually caused some problems for emergency response and trying to count people and count heads and make sure everybody was accounted for. The captain did go through the plane all the way to the rear and eventually left out of the rear door, last off to make sure that nobody was on the plane. The aircraft was substantially damaged and was never flown again. It was scrapped two years later in November of 2013. Damage to the aircraft included both engines, the airframe, mainly the lower rear, and the engine covers, basically imagine the hood on your car, it's totally destroyed basically. Uh, some onboard systems were also impacted, like some of the hydraulics and electrical systems within those. Uh, damage to the fuselage deformed areas around the aft cargo door, and it was unable to be opened to retrieve the contents. They had to cut it out to get people's bags. And, I mean, at least they could get people's bags. Yep. And the landing gear doors were also pretty significantly damaged for the main gear. Uh, a giant hole developed at the rear of the airplane, thanks to it sliding down concrete. Even with the foam, there's pictures in the report of a massive hole at the rear of the airplane. Flaps were also damaged because they rubbed on the ground. Uh, all these were contributing factors to why Lot was like, yeah, we're not going to pay to fix this. Let's just Scrap get it. rid of it. But it took him two years to finally make that decision, partially because it was being investigated in the reports and were running for so long, and they were they were literally touching the airplane the whole time that was happening anyways. Fun fact, we actually had to use the Polish report for this because the NTSB didn't do a report on it. They helped... Because it is a Boeing plane, but they didn't run the main investigation. It did happen on Polish soil. And the Polish report is completely in English because it needs to be for, you know, basically for international use of the 767. And there's parts from the NTSB and the FAA within the report that come from the U.S. and literally are their parts of the report. But it's, it's pretty minimal compared to the actual Polish report. Yay, we didn't have to read Polish. Yay. You would actually just probably plug it into a, a translating system and have that read the Polish Yeah, probably. You. 
Yeah, needless to say, also electrical systems and VHF, very high frequency antennas, were destroyed on the bottom of the airplane because they were literally just scraped Rubbed off. Rubbed Yep. Lots of hoses and fittings were also damaged in or detached along the hydraulic system, which made it relatively difficult to figure out if all of the hydraulic systems had problems or if it was just the one initially. But because the, the crew reported that they had control of the airplane all the way to the end except for the landing gear, it was pretty easy to determine that it was just the center one. They also had the flight data recorder or the FDR. Right, which recorded all of the, the pressure warnings and all of that that came early on in the flight. Five lights on runway 33 centerline were also damaged from the impact and needed replacement. The airport was closed for two days following the incident. Because, because the, they couldn't use runway 29. They couldn't use runway 29 because the airplane was sitting right next to the intersection. And the airport didn't have the equipment needed to haul such a big airplane off the runway. So they had to contract a couple companies to come in and lift it off. And so it took them a couple days to get it get it out of there. The pilots were hailed as heroes from the president of Poland. Uh, was it Bronislaw Komorowski? Komorowski? I'm about, sorry. Komorowski sounds about right. Komorowski, okay. I, I was hoping. I'm trying. I'm trying really hard. Uh, as well as the passengers in the aviation community. They all hailed the pilots as heroes for pulling off a very successful, smooth landing. It was pretty uneventful in actuality. And Break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So now, why did this whole fiasco happen? Well, in the first place was the hydraulic system, right? That was the first origin of everything. So the reason the leak in the hydraulic system happened in the first place was because of a leaky hose. It was a flexible Kevlar hose connecting the right leg of the main landing gear to the hydraulic system, and it failed, ripped, tore next to the band where it actually connected to the whole system. And I have a couple pictures of it, um, and you can see the tear in the Kevlar. They took a lot of pictures of it. This was found to be common due to a kink in the hose that often occurred during installation um, and because the hose didn't swivel so as everything moved inside the plane it just was immobile so whenever it needed to move it would just start tearing. Um, It was a pretty common problem and this particular hose had signs of abrasion in the inner lining which proved that it wasn't installed completely straight. It was inspected eight months before the incident. It was inspected in March, and there were no signs of irregularities then, so it developed over those eight months. In June 2000, Boeing released a service bulletin for the hose due to the crappy service life. Because of the bending radius, it was rated for. um, It was often exceeded just from the motion of the plane. So Boeing created a new bracket and swivel fitting and sent it out to everyone, but the service bulletin had a low, non-mandatory priority, so Lot decided not to install it. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Was it just to save time, save money, all of the above? All of the above. I mean, they were pretty much told, here's this thing, you don't have to use it. You should, but you don't have to. And so they're like, okay, great, we won't. Well, clearly they should have. Should have. Could have. Well, this is the hydraulic line, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So they have a backup system in case this happens. 
Yeah, well, but for the landing gear, that's why they have the electric motor right. more than anything, which didn't work either. Now, why didn't that work, as Miranda's been asking for this? I'm, I'm seriously, I, I want to know so bad. So for those of you who don't know and have never had to reset a breaker at your house, a circuit breaker is designed to protect an electrical circuit from damage caused by super high currents, usually an overload or a short circuit, what have you. So if you're running like a hairdryer, a microwave, and a bazillion other things all at once, you're going to pop a breaker. You can think of it as water running through a garden hose, and a clamp will sense and automatically pinch the hose if too much water is running through it. When this happens in a plane, there are a ton of breakers in the cockpit, as Nick had mentioned. There's five panels on the right side that are just covered in these little black buttons. And one of the, when one of those pops out, a little white shaft shows so you can sh see it amongst all the other black breakers. It's pretty obvious. And you can just push it back in when you fix the system. Or if you, if you were the one to manually pull it out, you can just push it back in. After the accident, when they were trying to lift the plane, it was observed that the breaker in the bottom left corner was popped into the off position. And it's the master breaker. Okay. Wait a minute here. So they found that there was a breaker mm -hmm. that needed to be reset. Yes. And they didn't do that in flight. Why? This gets worse still. So the master breaker controls 13 other breakers. Basically, to use the analogy before, if you had 13 garden hoses and they all connected to one giant hose, there's one breaker, one pincher on the giant one, and then 13 individual ones. So those 13 ones can go off by themselves, or if the big one stops the master hose, then all 13 also stop. Turns out that 12 of those weren't used during the flight for whatever, like, they just weren't necessary during that flight. But one of those 13 was the alternate landing gear extension system. Right. It's downstream or down the stream from the main one the main one being popped means even if you checked the other one doesn't do anything yeah which is what the first officer was instructed to do by the maintenance facility was to check, check the alternate landing gear system one which was further downstream than the master breaker and he did he checked it it, it was wasn't in. popped it was fine yep it was fine but he didn't try to check to see if other breakers were popped now here's where that gets interesting well let me get into it first. Yep, go for it. So when they were lifting the airplane away, they were able to see if the landing gear would go down. So they pushed the master in, and the landing gear went down. Yep, they pulled the airplane into the maintenance facility once they got it in there, and literally just popped the breaker in, and the landing gear dropped. So you're telling me that if he would have just checked and got that breaker pushed back in, that they wouldn't have had to belly land at all. Yeah. Yes. And they had time. They tried to do this more than once, right? Yeah. Yes. So he had multiple chances to try to figure this out, and he couldn't do it? Yeah. Yes. Nine hours and 46 minutes. Okay. So here's a picture of the panel. Um, we will have this posted on our website. F6, which is labeled, is the alternate landing gear extension motor. So that one's fine. Um, A1 in the corner is the um, master. And as you can see, it's in the corner. To put that in perspective, it's on the floor, right next to his feet. So part of me doesn't really blame him for not being able to see it, but also... Okay, here's the thing, though. Okay, before you give him kudos, because... <laughs> I'm not giving him kudos. Don't, yeah, no. If you can see that you look down at your feet, and you see a white popped breaker, 
it, see, if all of that was black, I could understand why you'd be like, yeah, I kind of get why you couldn't see it. But here, um, and there, this picture will be posted on our website, too. You can clearly see that that one is popped out. You can, but so when they tested this in the investigation, they proved that from where he was sitting, it's very likely in his peripherals he couldn't see it. He was never asked to check it. It was never on any checklists either. And so you don't want to touch any of the thousands of breakers. You have no idea what it controls. He was never told that that was the one that controls. It's the master breaker that controls the breaker system for the alternate. And it's all the way down literally by his foot. And so do you want to get into what happens? Yeah, but real quick, okay, jumping off that, right? Even so, even if you didn't know what it went to, right? wouldn't you want to check and be like, hey, there's a breaker popped? Because they're in contact with the maintenance facility, right? So, hey, does this have anything to do with it? Or there's this breaker popped, can I pop it back in? Like You would think. It's, it's, not un, it's not irregular for some breakers to be popped, though. Um, there are some systems that they disable on airplanes on purpose, and so they are purposefully pulled. It may have been assumed that if he wasn't told about it, he didn't check it, for one. Two, again, he didn't see it very well. There may have been actually something in the way, which is part of the investigation, actually. Yeah, so there was concern in the past by operators about the vicinity of the breakers on the P61 panel because it's next to your feet or flight bags. It could be accidentally pulled. Yeah, a lot of crews tend to put their literally their flight bags right with all their stuff it. right in front of that panel because you don't ever use the breakers unless there's really an emergency situation. So Boeing developed a guard to protect the lower breakers from accidentally being pulled, but they charged for it. They installed it on later planes, but if you wanted it on a plane that already exists, you had to buy it. Yep, it was only a service bulletin, so it wasn't required. ADs and service bulletins are two different things. Airworthiness directives, or ADs, are required groundings, basically, of airplanes until they're fixed, or they're required to be fixed by a certain amount of flight hours or within a certain amount of time from the issue of the AD. Um, emergency ADs are the only ones that actually ground airplanes, i.e. the 737 MAX. In any case, these ADs are usually a lot more higher priority than service bulletins, but only a service bulletin was issued for this case for putting a panel in front of, or a protector, a guard, a guard in front of this panel. I feel like then it should have been, and I don't know if it's the airlines who do this or if it's Boeing, but there should have been something in the checklist or something somewhere that went, if this doesn't work, check this breaker too, to see if it's pulled. This was raised by the Polish investigation, actually, and it was one of their recommendations to Boeing that was actually still... So, I think it was added to the checklist, but part of it was not adhered to. So, the recommendation was that, yes, that breaker be added to the, the checklist, but the recommendation was also that the checklist read if X, Y, and Z are in place on the alternate landing gear system, then go to this procedure. Because it didn't lead them directly from the failure of the hydraulic system and what to do about that on the checklist into the alternate landing gear checklist. They did it anyways because they had practiced it so many times in the simulators 
Plus, they were on the line with the maintenance facility. Okay, so that part of that is Boeing, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so it. I have to say it's not 100% his fault then, because if that breaker, and it's the master breaker, right? It, it probably controls a lot of stuff on the airplane. 13. Yeah, yeah 13 so different things. Then that should be on the checklist for those things in case they fail, I feel like. Another point, though, it also isn't signaled in their in their little computer that they have that issues all the signals like, hey, something's wrong, hey, something's wrong. It doesn't tell you when this breaker's open. Well, and maybe it doesn't need to. I don't, we don't know what other 13 things it is attached. Maybe you guys do, I don't. Uh, One of them was like a cooling to. system for, I think it was like refrigerators in the galley. Probably. It was something like that. Yeah. And if it's stuff like that, it's not an emergency. Yeah. But it should be added to, especially if it affects stuff like the landing gear, alternate landing gear system, you know? Which isn't used all that often. Yeah. Right. If that needs to take place, I feel Mm -hmm. like that needs to be on the checklist to be like, oh, well, if you've checked this breaker already and this breaker's fine, check the master breaker. And if the master breaker's popped, put it, push it back in, see if the landing gear comes down. Because then they could figure out, oh, it, it doesn't have to do with the electronics on the airplane, then it has something to do with, or this electronic system is completely out, we can't use it. Mm-hmm. So that's just my uh, spiel. spiel on that, yeah. yeah. Um, and they did, um, they did mention in the report that they couldn't prove when it popped, so it could have very well been closed when the first officer inspected all of the breakers earlier. Um, it's impossible to determine how and when it popped. Right. Okay, Point that is, makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I'm going to read the official causes of the accident and the contributing factors verbatim. Please excuse all of the technical language. One, failure of the hydraulic hose connecting the hydraulic system on the right leg of the main landing gear with a center hydraulic system, which initiated the occurrence. Two, the open C-829 BAT bus distributor circuit breaker, the master, in the power supply circuit of the alternate landing gear extension system in the situation when the center hydraulic system was inoperative. Three, the crew's failure to detect the open circuit breaker during approach to landing after detecting that the landing gear could not be extended with the alternate system. The factors contributing to the currents were as follow. Lack of guards protecting the circuit breaker on P61 panel against inadvertent mechanical opening. Two, the location of the master breaker on panel P61 in the extremely low position, impending observation of its setting and favoring its inadvertent mechanical opening. Three, lack of effective procedures at the operator's operations center, which impeded specialist support for the crew. And four, operator's failure to incorporate the aforementioned service bulletin. So basically this breaks down and says that the last part about the operators is interesting. That's basically the Polish government saying that Lot, the Polish airline, the operator, uh, didn't have proper manuals or guidance, basically, to give to the crew in situations like this. They didn't have any procedures for it. Neither did the crew, obviously. But... It's partially, that's partially why the operations center exists. And then also it basically says that the Polish airline, lot Polish airlines, wasn't adhering to the service bulletin put out for the the hose 
and that means that Lot wasn't in compliance, quote-unquote, with that, and so they blame it partially on the airline, partially on Boeing for the lack of a uh, guard in front of the panel, and they also do blame human error, pilot error in there. Um, This is a rare case where pilot error is present, uh, but it isn't necessarily considered the main factor for one, and two, it isn't considered uh, a chargeable offense, basically. It wasn't, it wasn't something that they should be diminished for. They still did a great job bringing the airplane to the ground, given the circumstances that they had, and while it was pilot error to some extent, they weren't given all the information they were need, that was needed to figure out the circuit breaker problem that they had. Also, I sitting here looking at this picture, I kind of think that if that's the master breaker, right, it shouldn't be on the floor. Right. It should probably be closer to where the co-pilot can actually see it. You would think. So that if something goes wrong, it's like, oh, well, this is the master breaker. Oh, this is popped. Right. And like Christy said, they don't know when it was popped. It could have been popped due to a mechanical issue. And so, because of that mechanical issue, it popped itself out? Nope. They proved that there was nothing that could have done it. It probably was accidentally pulled. Really? There were were no failures in the system. They they tested all of the breakers. All of them were working fine. None of those were popped. And if the master would be popped, it would have had to be because of some of the other breakers that it's contained. One of those 13. And none of those... Were popped. Were popped. So... This was just... Kicked open, probably. Yeah, and maybe it wasn't even them who did it. It could have been a previous flight crew on that airplane. They have no idea. That's they, the they can't prove it. But okay. because the alternate landing gear system is really the only critical thing tied in there, because they didn't have any other major failures from that, because the alternate landing gear system was the only other critical failure that happened, uh, they wouldn't know unless they needed to use it, and they needed to use it. It was an emergency situation. So, problem. Um, and I mean, yeah, they put it in the bottom left, but what I found interesting was more the thing that you told me the other day about, uh, the amount of force it takes to pop them. Mm-hmm. So, let me, let me grab my notes on that. That's hidden. So, it takes one and a half kilograms to pull the master, um, which is a little over three pounds of force. Um, so it totally could have been kicked. Um, and it takes... 2.6 kilograms to pull each of those individual 13. So it actually takes more force to pull the individual hoses, if you will, um, than the master. So when you say it could have been kicked, could just kicking it have popped it open? Yeah, With like such little force. I mean, the side of your foot. If you have most pilots tend to wear like relatively nice shoes when they're flying. I mean, they, it goes with the uniform. And so I know, like, in a lot of men's dress shoes, there's, like, a ridge along the edge of the the sole or the bottom of the shoe, and that could have caught the the breaker so easily and popped it at any point in time. I mean, it takes so little force, basically, to pop that breaker that, yeah, I mean, kicking it, quote-unquote, could cause that problem. So then put the ones that are harder to pull on the bottom, maybe? You would think. I feel like this should have been an issue before now. (laughs) 
Or like 2011. Like 2011 was not that long ago. No. And it's like, well, then why is the why hadn't this happened really before? Well, apparently pilots had raised concern about it for a long time. And Boeing Boeing addressed it, but they made it a char- like you had to buy the guard for it. Right. Well, as we know with Boeing, right now they are not in the highest of esteem, so that doesn't surprise That's me. That's putting it lightly. Mm-hmm. Nine recommendations were made after this, uh, but the most important ones were, uh, mainly most of them actually were about the checklists, not having enough information for the crew in a situation like this, and namely there was not a landing gear up or belly landing procedure for the airplane in the checklist, which isn't untold because it doesn't happen very often, even in commercial aviation. I mean, it does not happen that that often, and so there was no full-on procedure in the checklist, and that was recommended by the the Polish government, Polish investigation team, um, and that was up to Boeing to decide whether or not they wanted to add it. I don't think they did, actually. Uh, another recommendation to Boeing from the investigators was to add a protection plate, like we said, uh, over the breaker panel, and that became a service bulletin, not an AD, so that was not required. You mean, oh, okay. Yeah, a service bulletin is not required, um, but should be adhered to. Should be. Should Doesn't be. mean it was. And then adhering to the previous service bulletin and, and replacing the hydraulic hoses on the hydraulic system. Yeah, because if the hydraulic hose hadn't been torn, none of this would have been an issue. Right. So it comes down to two things, a small hole in a hose and a fuse that brought down LO-16. Well, it didn't bring it down. They just couldn't land with the landing gear up. Yep, that airplane's now, that airplane is now strapped. Um, that said, because nobody was injured or even, you know, died, obviously, in this incident, uh, if you look up LO-16, that flight number still exists. They still use it today. Normally, when major incidents happen, fatal incidents or even severe injury, they usually tend to scrap the flight number after that and not use it again because it has somewhat of a, not a bad connotation, but it, it, then it's, you know, you don't want to be flying on the same flight and know it. Superstition. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like UA-232, if they use that again the next week and people are getting on the same flight number, they'd probably be like, yeah feel so great about this so but lo 16 still exists today because nobody was nobody died from it and uh, the pilots are still considered heroes because they managed to make an unfortunate situation pretty fortunate i don't think i would consider them heroes but at least they made it so that they safely landed the plane without it breaking apart or anything like that they did the best with what they could and they actually managed to make a very smooth landing out of that and the airplane glided to a stop still on the center line pretty impressive actually so that was lot 16 yes thanks for listening see you next week keep Keep your your speed up. up please like and follow us on facebook and instagram at hard landings podcast and on twitter at hard landings pod Also, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you're using to listen. If you want to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy. 
Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi, and our social media is coordinated by Sonora. Catch you next time.